0: Just realize, very unprofessional of me, but I don't think I introduced myself. If you're new here and you don't know, my name is Robbie. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it is my delight this morning to talk about joy. You guys want to talk about some joy this morning? Does that sound all right? Amen. Yes. So we're going to talk about what it is, why we need it, why it's not just encouraged, but commanded in Scripture, and how we get it. So I was actually planning, several weeks ago when I knew that I was going to be up this Sunday, I was planning to teach Psalm 69, which is also a fantastic and awesome psalm, but I was challenged by the idea that that might be playing to type just a little bit too much. For the melancholy, emotional guy to teach yet another psalm on discouragement and how to face emotional depression with Jesus... That is important. I feel like I've taken you down that path a couple times, and so uh, and so we're gonna. I'm gonna do the unexpected play, and the melancholy is gonna talk about joy this morning. Probably because I need it most of all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So living living with joy. I mean, let's be honest. It's not something that we talk about nearly often enough, especially for something that God takes so seriously which you may hear that and think that that was actually a joke. God takes joy very seriously. Um, but that sounds a little bit like a joke because we often misunderstand what joy is and what that means for us, how uh, we, we define it incorrectly. Right? Joy, real joy is not, is not silly or irreverent or, or flighty joy, like soul deep joy joy The kind of joy that we were created to have in unity with our Father and, and with one another is a rich and heavy and substantive and fulfilling and sustaining presence in our lives. And I say presence on purpose because joy is one of the characteristics of the Spirit that dwells within us, and so it is, it is a very real, actual presence within us if we belong to Christ. So turn, if you're not already there, turn to Psalm 67. I'm going to read through the whole thing and then we're going to come back and walk through it step by step. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Peter says, The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So, this you might hear that first verse and say, Hey, that sounds kind of familiar. It should. This is uh, taken from something called the priestly blessing or the Aaronic blessing, not the ironic blessing. It's not like the Lord be gracious to us, right? It's It's not irony. It's the Aaronic, as in Aaron, as in the brother of Moses who was the first priest, and it's the blessing that he gives over the people of Israel. It would bless you and keep you Make his face to shine upon you, the Lord. Lift lift his countenance to you and be gracious to you. So that's he's taking this. The psalmist is taking this, and he's setting it to music. If you notice, and you may have notes in your Bible that says this is a song, as much of the psalms are. So you may, if you've been here for a little while, we have sung a song that puts that same blessing to music, because music helps us remember stuff, and it it just kind of stirs. Really beautiful and deep things in us. And so, setting scripture to music is something that the people of God have been doing for millennia. We're going to do that a little bit later. But here he sets it to music here and and wants to remind the people of God of this blessing God, be gracious to us, or give us your undeserved favor. Give us this gift that we did not and cannot earn. And he asks, please bless us. Right? So provide for us, care for us, encourage us. And then he uses this phrase that isn't really one that we use all that often. Make your face shine upon us. Which means gaze on us with pleasure. And it might actually be easier to understand this if you, think, if you try to picture its opposite. Right? Try to picture someone turning their face away because they are unable or unwilling to look at you. He's saying, God, don't, don't do that to us. I don't know, make your face look, a gaze on us with no shame, with no condemnation, just with pleasure, just delight in us. So that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all the nations. Give us grace, give us blessing, give us your pleasure so that we may display and demonstrate and share your blessing and your grace with the entire world. That's, that's one of the key elements of the gospel. So Peter addresses this and he points back to the same idea when he says that God has saved us and he has made us a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says he made you a people so that you would display his grace and his glory and proclaim his excellencies to others. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. He doesn't bless us. He doesn't give us grace simply for our own comfort or as a reward for our own good behavior. Otherwise, we'd never receive it. Or to make us superior to others, because that's the worst. But so that through us, the way of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the power of the Spirit would be made known to the joy of every nation, it says, whole world. Everyone. Now, it's important to note, it says, whose way are we wanting to make known on the earth? Your way. God's way. Not my way. Not your way. Not the way of any particular church or denomination or country. God's way. God's means. The only way that transcends every single culture, every single throughout all of history and into forever. God's way transcends and is relevant in every single context and culture. And it's not just your way but also your saving power among the nations because his way doesn't just transcend, it includes. It invades and adopts and includes every language, every nation, every people. John records the result of this incredible work of God when he gets this glimpse of the heavenly dimension and in that he sees this incredible vision of this countless group of people. He says, And as I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and what is uniting them all? How is this even possible? How is it possible that not just countries that didn't know that this other people ever existed, but, but countries who, who for their entire existence are at war with one another suddenly find themselves united together? What could possibly accomplish that? What brings together bitter enemies in mutual love and affection and delight. What is God's way and what is His saving power? It would be more appropriate to ask, who is God's way and who is God's saving power? What Jesus Himself says in John 14 is, I I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he says that not as exclusive, but as an invitation to say, come to me. Because everyone can come to the Father through me. And Peter, in an incredible sermon, one of the first sermons of the church after Christ ascends into heaven. He says, this stone that you have rejected, this, this Jesus has become the cornerstone. And then he, he goes on to say, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what the psalmist is, is pointing to that we now know and can point back to is the way of God, the power of God for salvation is Jesus and his gospel. Jesus is the way. Jesus is God's saving power and his gospel, which if you don't know, is the very, very good news. That's what gospel means. It just means the good news. It is the very, very good news That in spite of the fact that in our rebellion we have separated ourselves from God and broken that perfect relationship, Jesus lived the life that we should have lived but could not and paid the penalty that every single one of us deserved to pay because of our treasonous rebellion against God and because of his life and death and resurrection from the dead, we are redeemed or bought out of slavery from sin and self and adopted into the extraordinary Big, beautiful, messy, multi ethnic family of God. That is what binds everyone together in this vision. As they're standing before the throne, every single person in there is going, There's my Jesus. Is there Jesus too? Right on. Jesus. All that other stuff, all the things we feared, all those things we were fighting over, nonsense foolishness behold our god it's our jesus the church all over the world in every tongue and every tribe and every nation is meant to be a city on a hill on a display and in our joy holding up the light of the world our jesus For the world to see and behold and love. Putting on display through our lives, through our words, because we love this Jesus with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls and all of our strength. And the result is joy. Real, soul-deep joy. And as the psalmist is pointing out, multinational, multilingual joy. All the people, every language, every country is represented. All declaring their joy in this God, in this Jesus. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with Equity, you are a fair and righteous and good judge. See, the goal is not for us to, for the nations to be like us. God forbid. Not, the goal is not that the nations would behave themselves or leave us alone or act the way we would want them to. The goal is that they would all be filled, that we would and they would also be filled with the gladness and joy and delighted worship of the Jesus who loved them and bought them that's the goal. Does that sound awesome to anyone? I hope so. I mean, if you hear that and you go, come talk to me. We've got some discussion. You're missing something. If you love Jesus and that sounds meh, we we need some follow-up discussions because there's a missing piece in there somewhere. That should stir in us. Wait a minute, everybody? God's working in, et- there's no country, there's no culture that is beyond his grasp, that his love cannot penetrate and transform and make his own. No one, nowhere, anytime, no. Amen, hallelujah. Nothing, nothing. You are not too far from him and neither is anyone else. This is God is just and he is fair and he guides history he says let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the people with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth do you know that church do you remember that the creator god of the universe is still guiding everything everywhere that he can work in the most unrelenting seemingly unstoppable evil that he is still stronger than that. That's why we don't have to fear. Because no matter how out of control either my life or this world seems, there is no circumstance beyond him. There is no depth or span of human evil that is more than a pebble in the path of our Heavenly Father. Right, right now, I was just, I've just been so struck over the last couple weeks over, over this horrendous tragedy that, that from a distance we are, by God's grace, not experiencing. We are very detached from it, but we can at least see what is happening in Afghanistan right now. And it is horrifying and it is grievous. And over the last week, I heard a missionary give a report that since the Taliban has taken control of the country again, the Afghan church has experienced exponential growth. It's growing. right? We would look at that, and on paper you go, well, that's it for the church in Afghanistan. No, God goes, please. Seriously? The Tallahou, watch this. And his church... Expands and it grows. Yes, we must grieve over the horrors that men, women and children, image-bearers of our father are, are suffering in this country, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve knowing, "God you are, you are there. You are at work. Our father looks. Into that scenario and says, My children are there, and the gates of hell itself will not keep me from them. That is why James can encourage us to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. How irrational does that sound? But to James, it's the most rational thing in the world. So he goes, God's still God. What trial can you experience that keeps God from being God? Rejoice in that because you know He's got this. And no matter how impossible it looks to you, our Father is with you and He is in this and He is greater than all of it and He can guide the most miserable circumstances toward His glory and our good for our mutual joy. There's one verse in the Bible that, in my opinion, gets way too much attention. Did right? That got your attention, right, I imagine? I hope so. You should be on the edge of your seat ready to pick up a stone. Now, here, Here's the re- it gets the attention for the wrong reason, right? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Right. Do you know that's not the only two-word verse in the Bible? It's the only one that gets credit for being a two word verse. I think the other one needs a little bit more airtime. Rejoice always. We can all remember that one. Rejoice always. Church, we do not take joy seriously enough. And I am chief among sinners in this regard. We view it as an option but not necessary. We view it as either a personality trait or entirely dependent on circumstances or there are some who even view it with suspicion. Too much joy, too much celebration, there's something going on there. God appreciates cold stoicism. There's too much happiness involved. There's something suspect. God unequivocally feels the opposite. In Deuteronomy, after laying out all of the law, Of this is what it looks like to live as my people, as a separated people of God. This is what it looks like in the pre Christ existence of the family of God. And he finishes off by by laying out, it's kind of like a treaty I will do this, but this is what is expected of you in this contract. And he lays out, really, if you're being honest, the curses that happen to them if they violate this contract. And he warns them that he will send neighboring nations to overthrow Israel as a people. Why? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because the problem is the lack of joy. Somewhere along the line, we convinced ourselves, and when I mean we, I mean everybody, right? Because Jesus is battling the same thing. We've convinced ourselves that dutiful, cold, detached, dutiful obedience is what God is most pleased with. And God's response to those people in Scripture is, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And I care about the heart. That's what I'm actually after. And so he's holding Israel accountable, saying, You have no joy. Why not? You forgot who I am? Red Sea. All that stuff saved you? Nothing? Stirs nothing? You want you want to treat this like I'm an Egyptian idol and just walk through the ritual and that you think I'm somehow more pleased by that? No, no. He is a father who is after our hearts. And I want to put a big asterisk on here because if I'm in the audience right now, I have certain things stirring in me. And so those of you who are like me who tend to be a little self-critical, I am not sharing this with you so you can leave here going, great, just another thing that I'm failing at, not enough joy. That is not what I'm saying and that is not what our God is wanting to stir in you. If that is what is stirring in you right now, please come talk to me after service, because I would love to explain to you in depth how grace works and what Christ has actually accomplished on our behalf at the cross. That that is not the attitude that He wants us to live with. That is precisely what He died to free us from, that shame and that condemnation. Now I'm speaking to the person right now who has convinced themselves that joy is an option. It's unnecessary or even worse than how you would prefer to operate. There's a reason that Paul literally commands us to be joyful. It's a command. The grammatical term is an imperative. Right? It's not a suggestion. It's not an offer. It is a, you need to do this what he says is rejoice in the lord always and in just in case he didn't get that again i will say rejoice live with joy right some of you you meet you hear that and your your head goes right back to the song you grew up in a baptist church rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice right who's with me with me you ever hear anybody going, rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say rejoice. You're doing it wrong. It literally says rejoice. Like you should sing that with a big smile on your face. You're living in, we live in joy. Why does he command that? I'm going to run through a list really quickly, okay? I'll repeat it at the end. I don't expect you to write it all down. If you really want to, I can, I can come tell me. I'll email it to you. Maybe we can post it somewhere that things are posted But here's here's a list really quick. Why is living with joyfulness not a suggestion but a command? Number one, because joy demonstrates dependence on Jesus. Like real, actual, tangible dependence on Jesus. So Jesus tells us in John 15, He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Where he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And then he goes on and explains, after explaining all these things about who he is and, and what he is gifting his followers with, he says, I'm telling you this, not to heap a burden on you, I'm telling you this so that your, my joy would be in you and your joy would fill to overflowing. So joy demonstrates depend, that we believe that he meant this and that following him and doing things the way he does things actually leads to more joy. So it demonstrates dependence on Jesus. It, de- it demonstrates the presence of the Spirit in your life. Right? Because Paul tells us in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit, the, thing, uh, the things that the Spirit produces in you, because they are the character traits of the Spirit, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when the Spirit is emanating out of you, these are the things that you look like. And in Galatians 5, it goes on and says, if it's not these things, it's these other things. And it gives another list of things that we don't want to look like. But it's the difference between exuding the flesh and the Spirit. Am I reflecting me or am I reflecting the Spirit of God? And when we reflect the Spirit of God, what is coming out of us, one of those things is joy, joy. So it demonstrates dependence on Jesus. It demonstrates the presence of the Spirit in your life. Joy demonstrates faith in the Father. Right? I like covering the whole Trinity, right? It demonstrates faith in the Father. It does so in, in a couple of verses to, to point to that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. He says, Paul is praying this over people. I want you to be filled with the God of hope fill you with all joy. And how do we do that? By trusting Him, by believing that He is who He says He is, and He has done and is doing what He says He has done and is doing. So we trust the Father. And when we do, part of that is that the Spirit fills us with joy. Right? And even in the Old Testament, this is reflected as Nehemiah says, don't be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Our strength is found in in depending on the Father, and joy in that provides strength in all circumstances. Not a a willing ourselves to intellectually agree with something, but actually delighting in God. Also, joy demonstrates participation in the kingdom of God. It puts on display the fact that we are actually citizens of his kingdom, members of his family. One of the ways that that is addressed is in Romans 14 where Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, he's addressing like these ceremonial laws, like you create all these rules and you think the kingdom of God is about following all these rules when in fact it's about righteousness, right living, living like Christ, right, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So living with joy is a demonstration that we are citizens of God's kingdom because His kingdom is a kingdom of joy. So joy demonstrates dependence on Jesus. Joy demonstrates the presence of the Spirit in our life. Joy demonstrates faith in the Father. Joy demonstrates participation in the kingdom of God. And lastly, joy demonstrates the kind of obedience the Father actually seeks. And we don't really have time to get into it, but I would encourage you to go home and read Luke 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. You're probably, if you've grown up in the church or you've spent much time in the church, you're likely familiar with that story. And we always focus on one brother and miss the actual punchline of the parable. The ending matters and it ends with the older brother. That parable is about the father and the older brother. And as it ends, the older brother's response to the glorious redemption of his younger brother who they believe to be dead, if not spiritually, physically, or both. And, 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 and as everyone is celebrating the redemption of the son, it says that his response is that he is angry. Gospel transformation made him angry. Angry. The father's gracious love made him angry. His reason is because I followed all the rules and you gave me nothing. And the father's equally gracious response to this son is, I've given you everything. All I have belongs to you. All you have belongs to me. You have everything. And instead of delighting in all of your abundance, you've been fixated on your own self-righteous rule-following. Compare that now with our Jesus, who says in Hebrews chapter 12 says we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set Before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy, he obeyed in joy. And his obedience cost more than any of us can ever possibly comprehend, no matter how long eternity lasts. And he did so enjoy joy joy is a weird thing it really is it's it's a tricky thing it's one of those things that's difficult to define but when you experience it you go that's it that's the real deal one of the times that I was in India I was in a conversation with a guy who was Working had a pretty menial job at a, uh, a school for hearing-impaired children. And, uh, and, and I got in a conversation with him, and he was explaining, he never stopped smiling. He had these, like, massive, bright, white, chiclet teeth. And he just, he never stopped smiling. And as he's telling me, I'm like, hey, so how, you know, how, I, you, know you weren't here last time that we were here. How would you find yourself here at the School for the Deaf? And, and, and he begins to tell his story, never stop smiling about how a missionary came to his village, an Indian missionary came, shared the gospel with him, radically transformed his entire family. I'm abbreviating it here, radically transformed his entire family. They got baptized and his extended family came to murder them. And as they are burning down his house, he flees with his family into the jungle where they survived off of plants for three weeks and then walked multiple states away and found themselves at this home where they were welcomed in and he was given a janitorial job which as he's describing his job you would think they made him prince of the land never stops grinning the whole time it's like isn't our god awesome isn't he amazing provided the plants we needed i'm like you're your family is trying to murder you. I feel like, and, and he's just like, yes, right? That was terrible. But it is just amazing. I pray for them and I hope that when I go back to see them, I'm thinking, you're going back? When I go back to see them, I will continue to proclaim this good news of this Jesus to them so that they might be saved as well. And I'm, I'm listening to this going, that's joy. You are 100% sincere. You mean every word that you are saying and you are exuding joy as you are describing what any person would call objective, horrifying suffering and persecution. And we go, that's it. And I think, I don't have that. What's wrong with me? What is missing? Faith is tricky because it's a lot like faith. It is something that is both given to us and something that we must exercise. It's something I both have no control over and must choose to do. Right? There's, a weird, there's a weird tension in that. A little like being born with a strong and healthy body. You had nothing to say about your DNA. You were not consulted in that process. That, was, that code was handwritten by God before you existed. But if you are given that gift of a healthy and strong body and and never choose to exercise those muscles or mistreat or neglect your body or feed yourself a steady diet of junk and garbage, that gift will be squandered and those muscles will atrophy and your body will never function as it was intended. I think joy is similar. There's a reason that David begs God, restore to me the joy of my salvation because he had it. It was given to him. But that joy was not exercised. And after feeding himself on the junk of lust and fear and hatred of his enemies and and avoidance of responsibilities and seeking his own comfort, that joy atrophied. It no longer functioned as it should. It was squandered. But by God's grace, He is wise and humble enough to see this and want it back, and so he asks for help. So sometimes we need help to remember that when we belong to Christ, the joy is there. I have just forgotten it or stifled it. It's become so overcrowded, buried under the clutter and the fear and the worry and the anger and the pride. So that I can't, I can't even see that it's in there anymore. I've been wrestling with this over the last couple weeks, and there's two things, and I'm, I'm continuing to pray through, and, and, but I'm feeling more and more confident in the reality that joy is not something. If we are in Christ, if we belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then that means that joy is not something that we lack and need to somehow do something to acquire, but something that we have within us, we have full access to it, we simply are suppressing it. And the other thing is that I believe that we will never experience the fullness of joy until we grasp the scope of God's kingdom. So number one, Peter says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His power has already given us all things required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us into his own glory and excellence. So through Jesus, we've been given everything that we need. So it's, it's there somewhere. Why, why can't I access it? And, and again, in Galatians 5, right, it says the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is joy. So God promises us in his word both that we have already been given everything to walk in obedience, including to obey the command to live with joy, and that he does so by giving us his own spirit. And if we stopped stifling him and actually allowed him to be who he is, we would exude his joy along with his love and his kindness and his gentleness and all the rest. I would argue that restore to me the joy of my salvation is not David asking for another salvation. He's asking God, remind me of what I already have, what you have already given me what you are continually doing in me. Help me to see that, to no longer be distracted by everything else and to see that. When we know who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing and who we get to be because of him and that he filled us with his spirit who radiates joy, we're reminded, what what do I think I'm lacking? What circumstance do I think needs to change in order to exercise and access this Joy. The problem is we simply choose complaining over contentment. We choose doubt over delight. We choose fear over faith. And yes, I know those are alliterations. Sometimes it just works out that way. Rather, we should be looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and then gave us the same spirit that empowers him to have that cross-conquering joy. Church, that is who we are and that is what we have access to. Instead of viewing it as something that is foreign or unattainable or I can only have once all my circumstances change, let's instead look at the desk that we have just so cluttered again with fear and worry and pride and all of these things and put our effort into clearing away all of that foolishness, that nonsense, that clutter, the pain, all of those things until we finally see and behold our Jesus. And then, what I see radiating out of this psalm is that one foolproof way to experience more of this joy is growing in our understanding and our scope of God's kingdom. The smaller your world, the smaller your capacity for joy. If all you love is yourself, then your maximum capacity for joy is like a gram. It's it's as big as it gets, it's all you should expect. If all you love is your own family, your own neighborhood, your own country, then your capacity for joy will be limited by that as well. Because when things go wrong for that one thing, the only thing you care about, then there is no space for joy. But when we, like the psalmist, say, bless me, give me grace, look at me with pleasure so that everyone... The entire world will know your power, your saving power and your glory and your grace. All of a sudden now I have an entire world of examples of God's goodness and grace to access, to stir my awe and and, and, and fuel my joy. When we put our own struggles in the context of the entire world, we find that there is so much more to be joyful for than we ever knew. May the nations be glad and sing for joy and praise our God. By God's great mercy, I have had an opportunity with my wife to worship with followers of Jesus in places like, like Mexico and Israel and Haiti and Brazil and Ecuador and Honduras and Kenya and India and Russia and Japan and in all of these contexts, most of which are so different from our own context and culture that you feel like an alien in all of these contexts, whether whether worshiping in a hut in the Amazon or a home in Russia or in a tent, doing our best to sing along in Swahili which I don't know, it stirs this overwhelming sense of awe and joy as I realize, wait a minute. When you said every tongue and every tribe and every nation, what you meant was every tongue and every nation. You are worshiping the exact same Jesus because He has called you by His grace just like He's called me by His grace. I would encourage you, church, when you watch or you read about anything involving people in a different culture or context from you, whether that culture is the neighborhood next door or a country on the other side of the world, I would encourage you to make a point to remind yourself that our Father is the Father of that nation as well and that, he, that we have brothers and sisters in that community that have been redeemed by the same Jesus who are singing praises to the same God and who are following Him just like we are. Our God is at Work, And as the worshiping team comes up here again so that we can celebrate him, this psalm ends by saying, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Right? How's that for expectation? God is going to bless us. God shall, it says it twice, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless. Bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. Our God is good and he has provided, he is providing, he is continuing to provide, he will continue to provide, and he is blessing us, church, so that we will be a blessing of others, so that it will stir our joy and stir the joy in Christ, of every tongue and every nation on this earth. Let's sing this psalm together in joyful celebration of this God. Anyone with me? Amen. Jesus, thank you for the privilege of celebrating all you are and all that you are at work doing. We could talk all day about this, sharing stories with one another about where we see you at work and stirring the joy of our salvation. Please do that. Where there are areas in our hearts and our mind where we are so distracted by worry, by circumstances, by fear, by anger, by pain, remind us that you know That when we see Christ, you don't condemn us for those things, but that you want to clear the clutter so that we may see our Jesus and our Jesus alone and delight in all that he is and all that we get to be because of him. God, let that be true in our hearts. Let that mark this church. Let that spill out into this community. And let us be launched out into the world to declare your glory, your goodness, your greatness, and your love for your glory and for our joy.